Thank you, Miss May. Um, just so y'all know, here at East, uh, we put three things before our members. Um, you become a member of Lindsay Lane East, we ask you to gather, uh, which is talking about our worship services and also the fellowships that we have. There's an expectation on, on us as members to gather together, uh, but we also ask you to group, gather and group. We believe groups are important. We believe uh, gathering here for the worship service is incredible, um, but life transformation is going to happen most effectively in groups. And so that's why we, we push those heavily, and we have some on Sundays, some during the week, and on Wednesday nights, our big group night here at East, and we, we expect that. And then we also say move, gather, group, and move. Movement is about uh, serving the Lord in our church and in our community. And uh, Miss May leads um, a group of teams as a coordinator um, that help you do those things, that will help you get connected. And so if today, if, you've, if you need a, a help, and getting connected here at East to gather, to group, or to move. Stop by Next Steps and just talk with them and let them help you figure out how you can get plugged in, what groups we offer, and uh, talk to you about uh, beginning to serve in our church. Any of that information is available at Next Steps. So you can stop by there. Um, we would love to be able to, um, to get you connected there. Also, if this is your first time worshiping with us, if you've never been here on this campus before, um, or if you've watched online and just never come here in person, we're so thankful that you're here. In the back of the seat in front of you is your ticket to a really awesome gift. And so if you'll grab the Connect card at the back of the seat in front of you, fill it out with as much information as you feel comfortable with, drop it by Next Steps on your way out, which is in the lobby, you'll see it. Uh, give it to somebody that has a badge on. Um, they'll hook you up with a Lindsay Lane East information and a gift today, and you can leave here um, uh, with a bag of stuff. Okay. It's a cool, it's a t-shirt. So it's not that awesome of a gift, but anyway, we love them. Uh, we wrap them. Uh, Trey's wearing one back there. Trey, Trey's wearing one, a Lindsay Lane East shirt. Uh, we'd love to give you one of those today and just thank you for being here. So please fill the card out, drop it by and we'll follow up with you. If you're watching online, uh, we're so thankful that you're online in the link to this video uh, or in the description of this video, you'll see the link uh, to the connect card, fill that out. We'll follow up with you as well. Uh, we're thankful that, that you've chosen to worship with us online. Um, man, I'm excited to be able to continue in this study. Um, uh, this morning, May just read some verses that we read last week. Uh, same verses. And guess what? We're going to read them again next week. So y'all just get over it, okay? Uh, we're going to spend three weeks in this set of verses because it's important. Uh, the last two sermon series, we've been covering large blocks of text, um, kind of bouncing around a little bit, covering a large section of the Bible. Well, now we're settling in and we're chewing a little bit, right? We're we're going to kind of chew on these verses and make sure that we get a make sure we get everything we can out of here. And so, if you missed last week, Isaiah um, uh, is this is who we're reading of. Or the book of Isaiah is the the teachings and uh, preachings and prophecy of the prophet Isaiah, and uh, he gives us a glimpse. He gets a glimpse and tells us about it. Uh, a glimpse into the presence of God. God is on this throne in the sanctuary with the killer robe that fills the temple. Around him are six, these six-winged creatures. Um, the Bible calls seraphim. And they're flying around and they're calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And so the challenge last week was to think about, when we, talk about, when we think about God's holiness, we think about that God is holy, holy, holy. He's other. He's different. How does that change? How should that change the way that we view him? Right, that was our focus last week. And what we walked away with is that the seraphim really set the standard for us, that it should lead to worship. When we recognize who God is, it should we should fall on our knees or lift our voices or raise our hands or we we should be drawn to worship him. 
And that was last week. And so this week, what we're going to see is that that's not all that's going on. Also, when we encounter the holiness of God, it also affects the way we view ourselves. And so that's where we're going to be today, all right? Um, so May already read the verses, so that's usually what I do at this point. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, uh, we're going to continue on the sermon, okay? Father God, we thank you uh, for the word that Miss May read, and God, uh, for the word that we get to study. Uh, God, I'm so thankful uh, to get to open up your word and, and proclaim it. Uh, to, to this church family, God, that, uh, that you've allowed me to, to pastor and shepherd. And God, I pray that today your word would fall fresh, fall new uh, on the ears of your people. And God, even for those who, have, uh, who may not have ever trusted in Jesus as their Savior, God, I pray that the, the word would speak to them today. And God, we would all be drawn uh, towards a, a heart of repentance and a heart of, uh, of humbleness towards you. We pray uh, that you would teach us to know you and that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, I like to uh, to help you type A people, so we're just going to jump right into the outline, okay? Uh, point number one, if you're a note-taker, the humbleness, the well, first thing we see is the humbleness of a prophet. Um, Isaiah, the great prophet, experiences the presence of God and his holiness, and we find out that he is immediately affected by that. He's immediately affected. Look at his response. Um, so he's seen the glory of God. He's there um, in uh, the temple. He's in the throne room of God. And this is what he says. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Now, what's interesting about this is that there was no sermon, Right. There was no conversation with God where God points at him and says, you got this sin and that sin and this is, this, is, this is how sorry you are. There's no conversation between him and God that points out the sin that Isaiah is experiencing. However, just being in the, at the throne of God, experiencing his holiness firsthand led to the statement that I just read, woe is me, I am ruined the word ruined uh, in the Hebrew literally means uh, unfit or undone, right? It means I should be removed from here because I ain't got no business being here. Um, that's, that's North Alabama language. I ain't got no business being here. Um, and that's what he says. He's I'm unfit. I should be done away with. And it's obvious that Isaiah is overwhelmed with God's holiness. But... Because you and I are so comfortable with the Bible, we just read through things. Isaiah actually gives three reasons why he's overwhelmed. He says, I am ruined because. And he actually gives three things that I just want to walk through slowly with us. The first thing he says is this. I am unclean. I'm unclean. Here's the deal. Isaiah, as far as we know, was a pretty stand-up guy. There's no skeletons in his closet that we find out about later. There's no uh, church tradition that says Isaiah was really just a scoundrel, you know, uh, with all these secret sins. Um, yes, he, he was called by God to speak on behalf of God to God's people, and that's a heavy job, but we don't know tons of secret sins that are going on. But here, when he's faced with the absolute holy and otherness of God, Isaiah, who speaks with boldness to other humans, finds himself broken. And that's what should just, that's what should resonate in our ears. Isaiah stands up before God's people and proclaims it boldly and then lets God deal with it. But here in the moment, he can't even, like, he, he doesn't even know what to say. He's overwhelmed. The boldness is gone and it's replaced with brokenness. 
You see, in light of the beauty of God's holiness, even the smallest of sins are magnified. You see, in light of the beauty of God's holiness, even the smallest of sins will break the heart of man. We see it over and over again. The closer we get to God, the more our sins are magnified, right? The closer we get to God, the more our sins are magnified. And so just to speak to that for a second, does it mean for us? That means that if, if you or I are going through life right now without feeling the burden of our sin, like happy-go-lucky, taking each day, just enjoying life, and we don't have a heaviness for our sin, one of two things has happened. First is you figured out life. You figured out the Christian walk, and you're not sinning anymore, and you're just awesome. And I want your autograph after the service is over because I want you to save me a spot in heaven because you're going to have a killer one, I think. That's the, that's the thing. There's no sin in your life to feel heavy about or you are no longer near God because the closer we get to God, the more our sins are magnified. You're no longer near to God. You've gotten so far from God that your sins seem small. See, as we get closer to God, our sins are magnified. But guess what happens? The further we get away from God, I can get so far from God as a Christian that I look at my sin and go, it ain't that bad. It ain't near as bad as Matt Tribble. Like, I, I, I ain't got that guy's kind of sin. He's right over here if you don't know him. Matt, wave to the crowd. Bad dude. No, like, I don't have, right? Like, that's what we do, though. I'm making a joke, and it's funny, but, like, that's what we do. That's what we do. We get far away from God and we begin to act like our sin's not a big deal. And look, I know I'm still a young guy. I'm still a young guy, 34 years old. But what I found in myself just in the 34 years of life that many seasons of my life have been spent walking day to day without any feeling of heaviness for my sin. And I know for myself it was not the first reason because I had stopped sinning. It was that I had found myself far from God. I was no longer near God experiencing His holiness. And as believers, church, we got to deal with that. Like we can't just continue on life and expect God to fix that for us. That's something that seeking the presence of God is something that His Word calls us to do. Uh, just to talk for a second. Um, there's two things. To, uh, this, this idea I love to talk to you about. Uh, I'm going to do it probably every six or eight weeks. Because it was helpful for me. Um, if you're in this boat, if you say, man, I, Heath, you're spot on, man. I, my, my closeness to God is not where it needs to be. The first question to ask is, have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? Like, is that, do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you're good? Because if you are, the Bible says you are in Christ. With Christ. You are secure eternally and finally. The Bible says there's nothing that can change that. That's what we call the union with Christ. We are in union with Christ. Nothing can change it. However, we step around this side of the table. There's also what's called a communion with Christ. That thing, that sucker, you and I can't affect. You and I can't affect. It's the ongoing relationship that we have with God. And that can get very, very distant. And so oftentimes I encounter people and they say, man, I just don't feel close to God. I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I'm like, well, that's two different things. Because you don't feel close to God doesn't mean you're not a Christian. 
And so I just wanted to encourage you with that, that, that the union with Christ, if you are in Christ, you are finally and fully secure. But however, if you are a Christian, there is an ongoing relationship that must be pursued on our part. We must pursue the presence of God. I just untied my shoe by stepping on it. And it's going to be awkward if I don't tie it because I'm going to step on it again. All right. Here's the deal. Let's go to number two, or point B under this. I am unclean. That's the first thing Isaiah says. The second reason he gives uh, is that my people are unclean. Y'all, Isaiah calls out his friends and neighbors. <laughs> he says, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live a bunch of, around a bunch of dirt bags. Uh, uh, you know this, God, right? Can, if there's anything that we can resonate with, <laughs> can we just resonate with that, right? Any of y'all ever feel like you're the only sane person in your life? Besides your spouse, if you're married? Like, you, if I walk in circles sometimes, and I go, the rest of y'all are nuts. I'm the only sane person in the world. That's kind of, maybe that's it. But we, we probably, you've probably prayed something similar to this. God, I live in a messed up place. We as a country have enacted things that go blatantly against your word. Our media celebrates sinfulness and evil. This place is a mess. You ever prayed something like that? Most of us have, and most of us have probably voiced it. We talk about it at the water cooler at work, or we post it on social media, because Facebook loves to hear that. It's a lot of likes and a lot of amens in the comments, and we quote Second Chronicles seven fourteen, and we ask our country to repent. In church, I pray that it happens one day. I pray that one day, before Jesus returns, that all of our country just knelt down and called on the name of the Lord. But that's not what Isaiah is doing here. When Isaiah encountered the holiness of God, his first thought was not the finger point. Do you see that? The first thing he said is, woe is me, I am unclean. I am unclean. He didn't say, God, look at how messed up your people are. If I've got any sin, it's because these these guys that are around me. His first statement is, I am a sinner, and I can't, I, I've only been here a, a little over a year, a year and a, almost a year and a half. We're getting there, y'all. We're getting there. However, I've been in churches, I've been around church my whole life, and I'm just going to be straight with you. What I see from church people oftentimes is that we as a church want our neighbors to repent, we want our country to repent, we want our government to repent. But we want to continue in sin and complacency. God, may it not be true. May we not cry for the country around us to repent when we ourselves won't do it. We are the real sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus yet still continue in sin. We are in most need of God's grace. I can't, I can't fix other churches. <laughs> I got no authority. I walk into another church, I got no authority. But God did bring me into a place with about this much authority here to speak from God's word on behalf of him. What I'm what I'm what I'm asking you to buy into is that however long God gives us here as a church, that Lindsay Lane East not be known as a church with tons of fingers pointing outside these walls. The biggest sin that God has called us to deal with as a church is the sin that's in our own hearts and the sin of the people in this room with you right now. That's where we start. That's where we start. That's the people who are called by my name. That's the people that God has called to repent. 
May we look more like Isaiah who first confessed his own sin. When we encounter the beauty of God, I pray that my heart breaks over my own sin. And the same for us as a church. Third reason Isaiah gives, he says, I am unclean. My people are unclean. And the third thing he just says is, I'm seeing God. Isaiah says, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Here God is clearly the king. Isaiah sees him literally on a throne with a, with a king's robe. And this may be a dumb question, but what do kings do? They rule. They rule. That's what they do. And Isaiah, up to this point, we don't know. Isaiah's probably, he's more than likely been in a throne room before as a prophet. He may, he may have been able to at least step into Judah's, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. He may have been able to step into their throne room. He's probably met some other kings. He's at least heard of other kings around Judah at this point. He knows what kings do, but it's here that his eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Isaiah believed that God was different than these other kings, that he ruled everything in the universe. We find that out in Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 21. Isaiah says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. These guys are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground and he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name because of his great power and strength. Not one of them is missing. That sounds like a king like you've never met before. That's a king who controls the universe. Because Isaiah had this view of God, that a truly holy, set-apart king, he felt unworthy to be in the throne room of such a king. And he said, I am ruined because I'm unclean, my people are unclean, and I'm seeing God who is the awesome king of the universe. However, this ain't how everybody enters the presence of God. This is not how everyone enters God's presence. Even in the text, there's a little footnote at the very beginning. And we talked about it last week. But there's a little footnote about this guy named King Uzziah. Right? There's just a little footnote about him at the very beginning. But when we look at his story, we see why Isaiah mentions him. We've seen the, the humbleness of a prophet. Now let's look at the haughtiness of a king. I read a lot of this last week, but in case you missed it um, or you just weren't here, let me remind you. Uh, Uzziah was a great king in a lot of ways. Uh, he, was, uh, he led God's people well. Uh, God used him to accomplish incredible things. The boundaries were expanded. But as his notoriety increased, so did his ego. This is Second Chronicles 26, 16 through 19. But when he, talking about Uzziah, became strong, he grew arrogant. And it led to his own destruction. He acted unfaithfully against the Lord, his God, by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar. The priest Azariah, along with 80 brave priests of the Lord, went in after him. They took their stand against King Uzziah and said, Hey, 
You have no right to offer incense to the Lord. Only the consecrated priests, the descendants of Aaron, have the right to offer incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have acted unfaithfully. You will not receive honor from the Lord God. Uzziah, with a fire pan in his hand, ready to offer incense, was enraged. Who would speak to a king this way? But when he became enraged with the priests in the presence of the priests in the Lord's temple beside the altar of incense, a skin disease broke out on his forehead. We read that skin disease forced him to live uh, in isolation, away from civilization for the rest of his life. And by the end of his life, he was only remembered as one who had a skin disease, not as the king he had once been. Now, there's a little bit of an assumption here that you understand um, something, so we just make sure that you do. Uh, Uzziah knew he was not allowed in the temple. Like, kings were not allowed there. He knew that. He knew that. Only the priests who were of the particular lineage that traced back to Aaron and all the way back to Levi, one of the sons of Jacob, he knew that. So my question is, what would cause a man who knows he's not allowed in the presence of God to do that very thing. What would cause that? Deep down, he must have honestly believed he deserved it. Right? I mean, like, he knew what was going to happen if he went in unless he had a higher view of himself than he ought to have. He rolled right up in to the temple and to the inner courts of the temple with authority. What's interesting is that even priests would oftentimes make sacrifices before they went into the inner parts of the temple because even they uh, were were reverent of what was going to go on in there. They knew they were sinners and that they could not enter God's presence that way. They were much more like Isaiah in this regard. They knew their own sin, but Uzziah didn't. He walked arrogantly and haughtily right into the presence of God, just marched right in without thinking. But the question is, how did he leave? See, he may have walked in arrogant, but he left very, very different, didn't he? He left humble. He left with a skin disease. We don't know if it was leprosy, but because of you know medical lack of medical advancements and knowledge back then, oftentimes simple skin diseases, right? You don't want a rash show up Start saying you got leprosy and kick you out. Eczema, oops, get out of here, right? I mean, they're, they're kicking people out all the time because they don't want leprosy to go on. And oftentimes, leprosy became the catch-all for all the skin diseases that were probably much less dangerous or even less contagious. Because of this skin disease, here's what's interesting. Uzziah would never be allowed even into the outer course of the temple again. Even to the area where he could go before, he can't even go there anymore. You see, what Uzziah did was he took, he took what he was not given, and even that was taken from him. How does that sound familiar? Think back to Genesis 3. You can eat from any tree in the garden, but don't eat from this one tree. What did Adam and Eve do? They took of the one fruit that they were not to eat, and what was taken from them? Everything removed from the garden altogether. It's the same. It's what we do. It's what sin does in our hearts. We want the one thing that God said don't do. And when we do it, we experience a separation from God through sin. 
Uzziah would have lived his whole life in utter seclusion from then on. Here's another part of this interesting. If others were to touch him, even unknowingly, accidentally, they would be made unclean. And they would have to go through a ritualistic cleansing process and maybe even a sacrifice to be able to go back to the temple again. And because of this, those that had leprosy or skin diseases were required by law to scream unclean if they were in a group. When they were around other people, they were to yell unclean. I'm unclean. So everybody would know to stay away from me. Now, in Isaiah 6, where have we just heard the word unclean? You see in this connection? When Isaiah enters the presence of God, he is overwhelmed by God's holiness. And the first thought is, I am unclean. I am unclean and unworthy to be here. However, when Isaiah enters the presence of God, he walks in with his chest puffed out. And even though he experiences the same presence of God, he is not humbled. And the very thing that he should have recognized in the presence of God was that he was unclean, but he wasn't willing to admit it. And so what did God do? God made him unclean and made it no doubt. The very thing that he should have said when he entered the presence of God, he didn't, so he left that way. My fear for my own heart. My fear for my own heart is that I would downplay the sin in my own life. And I would walk boldly, not with the power and confidence that comes from Christ, but of my own accord into the presence of God. I would stand before you as your pastor and preach with my own confidence, not that comes from God. That I would talk with my friends and neighbors, that I would even, even engage uh, with God's word in a way that is arrogant. There is no place for arrogance in the life of a Christian. No place at all. It's clear from this passage that God's holiness is too great for us to enter in any way other than humility. However, as I was reading, the question rung in my ears, if there's such a risk in the presence of God, right? If there's such a great risk that I'm going to go in the wrong way, shouldn't we just avoid it? Doesn't it make sense? Like, shouldn't we just avoid difficult situations? What is offered in the presence of God that is worth the risk? That's where we get to number three. That's what we see happen to Isaiah. The hopefulness of atonement. After Isaiah cries out to God that he, I'm unfit, I'm a sinner, this is what happens in verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. It's one of those six-winged creatures. And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. I don't know about you, but I've got too close to a fire before. That sucker hurts, don't it? Uh, I've got a little uh, gas griddle we cook on at home. And uh, Elsie Joe accidentally, my seven-year-old, helps me cook. She touched it the other day on her arm. It didn't feel good. 
So how do we not, as we see Isaiah here, just a reminder, this is a vision that he's having. This is something he's seeing, not necessarily physically experiencing. Because if you touch a coal to your mouth, it's not going to be good. We have to have that disclaimer in here, okay? Disclaimer. Kids, don't touch coal to your mouth, okay? I don't believe, again, but I don't believe we're to wrestle with what the coal represents. I don't believe we're to wrestle with, uh, with why he's touching it to his lips. The thing that God has impressed upon me to share with you today is who's not holding the coal? Who's not holding the coal? The answer is Isaiah. You see, in the presence of God, Isaiah recognized that he was unfit. He knew he had a lot of work to do and a lot to fix, but God didn't say to Isaiah, hey, on your way out, on your way out, there's a pan out there. It's got some coals in it. Go and grab one of those and touch it anywhere that you're sinful. That's not what he said. He didn't say, hey, here's, here's three steps to get this fixed for you. He sent a seraphim, one of his creatures, to do it for him. This is the hopefulness of atonement. Atonement means a covering of our sin. This is the hopefulness that our sins will be removed. And the hopefulness is found in this. It comes from God and not from me or you. You are not responsible for fixing the sin in your life. You're not, you couldn't if you tried. Go ahead. Let me know how it goes. Because only God can fix you. And it's going to happen in His time and in His way. It's our job to simply get into the presence of God and let Him do it. Because if you're not spending time in the Word, praying, sharing with others, worshiping God through song during the week and on Sundays, looking for ways to serve others, engaging with the local church. And I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, I, feel, I feel pretty confident from the Word of God that I can tell you, you're not in the presence of God. If you're not doing any of those things, you're not experiencing God's presence. And that's where life change happens. That's where the coal is touched to our lips, our sins are atoned, and we are changed. Isaiah found himself in the presence of God. His heart was right because he was humbled to be in God's presence. He wasn't haughty like King Uzziah. And God brought healing to brokenness in the sanctuary, the presence of God. And here's what I know. If you're not pursuing God's presence, don't expect him to do anything for you. Like I'm from testimony, from my own life, don't expect. Can he still do it? Absolutely. I've been far from God and God stepped in. But I, can we all testify that's not usually a good stepping in? <laughs> right? When I get far from God and He steps in and He grows me through that process, it's usually in a painful way. I want to, set, I, I want, I want to pursue God in such a way that my healing and my brokenness is come, the healing of my brokenness comes lovingly. If you think you can fix yourself or that you don't really need fixing, don't expect Him to bring healing. Isaiah continues to speak uh, after this many, many things. But the two chapters, if you were to finish reading the book of Isaiah this afternoon, 
there's probably one chapter that's going to stand out to you, and that's Isaiah 53. Isaiah begins to speak of this servant of God, not like the seraphim, but a different type of servant who is coming to God's people, who is going to change everything. He won't just do touch-up work. He won't just use coals of fire. He's going to bring ultimate healing to God's people. I'm going to read to you Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 6. He grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have any impressive form or majesty that we should look at, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray. We've all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him, the servant, for the iniquity of us all. Do you see it? Hundreds of years before Jesus is ever born on earth, Isaiah foretells not only of his life, but of his death, a death that would accomplish something for all of us. Listen to me. I don't know if you've ever been told this, but I'm going to give you a a deep spiritual truth that you need to hear tonight, okay? Today, whatever the time is. You stink. For real. Like at life. At everything. Like you're not good. I don't know who, I don't know what your mama told you when you were growing up, but you ain't good. You are, the Bible says you are bad. You are a sinner who deserves to be separated from God. You are unfit to stand in the presence of a holy God. You have unclean lips and you show enough living a people of unclean lips. You are ruined in his presence by your sin. But God proves his own love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's Romans 5.8. Long before I ever served a church, Christ died for me. Long before I was baptized, Christ died for me. Long before I ever asked for forgiveness, Christ died for me. Before I ever did one single thing that might have been worthy of God's Affection. Christ died for me. And that's true of you today. Though you are unfit to stand before a holy God, Christ died for you. Today, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can because He died for you. He's not left you alone in your sin just said in Isaiah 53, he was pierced because of our rebellion, our rebellion against God. He was pierced for it. Our iniquities, fancy word for sin, crushed him. It says that we have peace. Who have trusted in Jesus, we have peace. But that was, there was a punishment that was made so that we can have peace. And Jesus took it. 
we also see that we are healed by his wounds. Today you can experience the peace that I've had for many, many years as a believer in Christ. You can have that today. By turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus as the only one who can fix your messed up self. Please, we're going to sing a song here in just a second. And um, if you got any doubt, right? If you have any doubt that that I'm not where I need to be with God, and I don't know if I, I don't know if I don't know if I'm a Christian, I don't know if I don't know if that union with Christ that I was talking about earlier, I don't know if that's secure. I don't know if I've ever trusted in Jesus. Here's what you need to know about us. As I told the first service, we're not going to sneak up behind you. If you come and talk to me, we're not going to sneak up behind you and baptize you in a pan of water. Okay? But wouldn't it be great if you do have doubts, if you could talk to somebody who's walked that road today? Like before you go home and get lunch. Wouldn't that be nice? That's what's on the table today. That's what's on the table. If you have any fear, any uncertainty about where you stand with God on the union piece, I don't know if I've ever trusted in Jesus. We want to help you just wrestle through that today. We're going to have counselors by the back door. You can come talk to me, and I'm going to pray with you. And then if, if, if you want to talk with someone, we're going to have decision counselors that would love to help you wrestle through that. Open up God's Word and sit down and look and see what it says. If, you're, if you know beyond any shadow of a doubt you're a Christian in the room, can we all just admit that things distract us? Netflix, like, man, if I spend as much time in God's Word as I have streaming movies and shows, how much, how many days would I spend, spend overwhelmed with the holiness of God because I'm in His presence? How about you? But that's just what hit me this week. And so wrestle with the big questions that we asked. If you're a Christian in the room, wrestle with the, wrestle with the communion. Am I walking with God? Am I pursuing His presence daily? Because you can get far from God as a Christian. It can happen. I'm going to say a word of prayer. Whatever you need prayer about, I'm going to stand right down here. After a little bit, I'm not going to stare at you the whole song, okay? I'm just going to slide to the front row, but I'm still available if you need to come talk to me. Okay, I'm just going to hang out here if you want to come talk. And then uh, if you want to talk to a decision counselor, we'll, we'll help you find them too, okay? I'm going to say a word of prayer. Whatever needs on your heart, the altar is also available for you to come and just pray before your church family. We're going to sing this song of worship together. Um, after I pray, you stand and we'll respond. Father, we thank you. Um, God, that, uh, God, as I just said, you didn't leave us alone just to try to figure out how to fix ourselves. Um, God, you made a way through Jesus for all that to be taken care of. And God, I've experienced the peace of that. God, I don't know if everybody here has. I pray, God, for their heart, the hearts of the people in here, God. I pray that you'd uh, stir in them. God, help them to be willing to talk to somebody today. God, I pray for those of us who, who do know Christ. God, shake us from our apathetic, complacent hearts and draw us back into the presence where we can experience your holiness find healing today. I pray for our church, God, that we would continue to be a beacon of hope to our community and all of the world as we seek
to see the glory of God in us, our neighbors, and the nations. Father, I thank you for this time. May you bless us and use us through this response time and as we leave this place later. In Jesus' name.